0: enjoying yourself here at church today. Isn't God good? Isn't it good to be with him? Well, again, I'm so glad to be here with you today. I know it's been a while since you've seen me and my family. We were on vacation, but I'll tell you what, uh, I actually had a few days of vacation left, but I came back just a little bit early because I wanted to be here today with you as well as to introduce who is going to actually be sharing our next message today as we have our series, The Bible Says what? I mean, I'm excited as we talk about these different scriptures that kind of sometimes can be confusing in their meeting. But today, uh, we're going to hear from Naomi Mate. She's going to come up here today. And I'm excited. You can come on up here, Naomi. I'm excited because she has been an incredible um, servant not only to our young people in our church, but to Jan and I personally, as well as in our Christian school. And she just has a great heart and a great spirit. But not only that, she's a great communicator. So would you give her your full attention here this morning?
1: Wow, he set the bar high. Um, (laughs) yeah, so as Pastor Todd said, my name is Naomi, and if we haven't gotten a chance to meet, I would love to meet with you. Um, I Actually, he didn't mention this, but I wear a lot of hats at Eastside, <laughs> and so I am uh, primarily Pastor Todd and Jen's personal assistant. I co-lead, yeah, they're pretty awesome. <laughs> I co-lead alongside Pastor Michael, and together we lead the youth ministry. And then on Sunday mornings, this is when you'll usually see me wearing a black t-shirt with a white logo on it. I serve with the frontline team. So these are my three main roles, and then I've got other hats I kind of juggle between. But uh, basically, um, Sunday mornings, just look for me. I'm in a black shirt usually, and I'm wearing, I've got a white logo, and I'm either greeting you, I'm saying hi, I'm ushering you in, and I would love to meet you. As Pastor Todd mentioned, we're doing a series right now, and um, we're discussing difficult things in the Bible. And last week, if you didn't get a chance to check out Pastor Peter's message, he essentially answered the question, does Jesus really mean we should hate our father, hate our mother, hate our sister, hate our brother? And it's a great message. And so if you want to hear how he unpacks that, check it out on our podcast at eastsidecitychurch.ca. You can also um, get our podcast through iTunes. And, um, (laughs) amen, yeah, (laughs) that's good. (laughs) And so, um, I want to tell you guys a little bit about myself, and before I do that, I'm just going to, I'm going to get comfortable. Okay, I, I move around a lot, and you're about to find out, and so your eyes will be doing this a lot, get ready, just hang on to your seats. Okay, so, I know I've shared this with my church family before, um, and I'm just going to make it very clear, I really love food. And I made it clear. I have shared this many times, but I love food and I love potatoes. Potatoes are my favorite food. And you can maybe, maybe you don't share the same love for potatoes as I do, but you cannot argue how phenomenal, like phenomenal potatoes are. You can prepare them in any different way and they taste so good. You can have potatoes deep fried, mashed, baked, broiled in a salad, hot, warm. It doesn't matter. Potatoes are good in every single way, and I have never said no to a potato. And I will never get sick of potatoes. And my love for potatoes began at a very young age. And by the time I was seven, potatoes had a side effect to the way I looked. (laughs) And so, at the age of seven, it is possible that I was a little bit larger than most kids in my class. Some people might say that I was fluffier than most kittens. My mother put it this way, it's more than baby fat now, this is serious. And so at the age of seven, my mother would begin to approach me every so often and she would say, Naomi, If you don't continue on with, if you don't stop this strange addiction, it is going to have long term side effects on your health. And she would begin to say these things that were hard to hear and hard to receive and hard to accept. And the thing is, I knew my mother's heart and I knew that she was kind, you know, And uh, and so I could kind of, you know, hear them, I could kind of accept them, but what was not so cool it was not what was really uncomfortable was when people who i didn't know had unkind words to say about how fluffy i was And that is when it became really, really hard to hear those words. It became really, really hard to accept the words of people um, who were saying things about me. And we have this scene in John 6, verse 53, where Jesus is on the other side of the story. He is delivering words that are hard to hear. He is delivering words that are hard to accept. And if we can pull up the verse, John 6, 53. He says, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What is Jesus saying? What does this mean? And I think it would be beneficial for me to set up this scene for you. Um, because I believe that, uh, give us a little bit of context and it will help us understand uh, what leads Jesus to this point. And so, in the beginning we've got in the beginning of John 6, we've got uh, Jesus, who has just done this incredible miracle. He has just fed 5,000 people. And it is, it is wild. Like, he has taken a lunch from a little boy, and he has multiplied it, and 5,000 people are fed, are fed. So to the point that they have enough for leftovers. And so people are amazed. People are like, this is incredible. People are now at the place where they're saying, we truly believe that Jesus is the prophet. They are in so much awe that if it was up to them, they would crown Jesus as king in that moment at that time. And so as a crowd and as a people, they decide, you know what, we want to follow Jesus. So Jesus crosses the river, they cross the river. And they get to this place in Capernaum, in the synagogue, and essentially, this is where we pick up in our story. And they find Jesus, and uh, they have questions for him. And their questions are derived from what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus begins to talk about, you know, they would. you should not do work for food that spoils, but you should work for food that endures for eternal life. And their question is, well, what must we do to do the work of God? Jesus responds by saying, they must believe, believe in the one that God has sent. And to this they say, well, what miracles will you do, Jesus? What miracles will you do so that we can believe? Because our forefathers ate manna from heaven. What will you do? And Jesus points them to the truth. The truth is, Moses did not provide your forefathers with manna, but God gave you bread from heaven. And just as God gave you bread from heaven, I am giving you the true bread. I am that living bread. I, Jesus, am the bread of life. And if you could turn to your Bibles, we're going to pick up at this very moment in John six fifty one. Or you can also follow along on the screen as well. Verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give you for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, Unless the flesh of the Son of Man, unless you eat of the flesh the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. And just as the Living Father sent me, I live because the Father, because of the Father, and so the one who feeds me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And he said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is Is a hard teaching who can accept it what is Jesus saying what does this mean is he actually telling us to eat of his flesh to drink of his blood is he literally telling us to engage in cannibalism (laughs) like think about it when you hear those words is he asking us to take his physical flesh and drink his physical blood And to be honest, during that time, as he's delivering these words, there are people in the crowd who genuinely thought he was referring to that. But we know that he's not talking about that. And we know, we know now that Jesus is referring to himself as the true bread when he speaks of his flesh, the bread that gives life. We know that Jesus is referring to himself to his blood as being the true blood when it speaks of his blood, the blood that was shed on the cross for us. And if you came in and you're like, I didn't know. Well, now you do know. (laughs) Now you do know. And so why does Jesus drive this point so deeply? Why does he become so intentional without giving them context because at this point, people are they're thinking all kinds of thoughts. And Jesus, who knows everything, is just continuing to emphasize knowing that they're confused. Like, put yourself in the shoes of the Jews. Of, right? No, of the Jews. I really meant that. <laughs> put yourself in the shoes of the Jews. And, and the people in the crowd, what, what do they feel? What, what are they thinking? They're probably thinking, um... I'm offended. I'm offended by what you are saying because don't you understand that for me to put, to to conceive of you being the bread of life is against the way I think. It's against the way I've been taught to think. Don't you understand that you, Jesus, you ordinary man, you son of Joseph, you have a mother, you have a father. You eat like us, you drink like us, you sleep like us. How can we possibly conceive of you as the one who came down from heaven? This messes with our belief system. We are offended. And Jesus intentionally meant to offend them. In verse 61, it says, aware of his disciples, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? (laughs) Does this offend you? So then why? Why not stop them? Why not say, whoa there, don't go far, your thought pattern, don't go far down to think and take me so literally. Why? Why go as far as to offend them and be intentional about that? And I believe it was to test their hearts. Jesus wanted to test the hearts of his followers, to test their dedication to test and see if they truly believed. If we pick up the story and kind of um, rewind a little bit and go to John 6, verse 27, I want you to pay attention to the condition of their hearts in the beginning. Because now we know they're offended. But what happens in the beginning of their dialogue with Jesus? So Jesus is talking, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one God has sent. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And to this they responded, sir, from now on, give us this bread. And I just want to pause there for a second. Because this response is clear indication that there is a desire in their hearts to receive what Jesus has for them. There is a clear desire, a genuine want. Sir, give us this bread. And then Jesus declares, I... I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. Jesus wants to test the hearts of his followers. About two years ago, one of my good friends called, and uh, she basically said, Naomi, we need to talk. This needs to happen. We need to talk now and it has to happen today because I have news for you. And so we met up for coffee and essentially she said, I'm done. I'm done with this Jesus thing. I'm done believing in Jesus. I I just, I cannot comprehend, I cannot run behind the idea that there is only one way to God, to an all-loving God, and that way is through Jesus and Jesus alone. I cannot wrap my head around how it's so narrow." How it's so narrow to get to an all-loving God. And the funny thing is that her and I had been serving together for many years. We had done youth ministry together. We had seen God move in our campuses. We had seen God move in our lives. We had seen God transform our lives, transform the lives of those around us, transform the lives of of our friends, of our community. She had seen God move. And yet she came to the conclusion that she did not believe. And at some point, at some point, it always has to be more than what we see. And this is what Jesus is saying. As I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe you see miracles, you see the blessings, you want what's within your reach, you want what's a possibility, but when I say, come, I am the way, look at me, take all of me, I am the narrow way, you do not believe. When I say, I am the way to the Father, take me, not when it's comfortable, take me, and only me, for I am the way, I am the truth, I am the I am the life, And without me, there is no other way, period. Jesus is testing the hearts of his followers. He is testing the dedication of those who claim to believe in Jesus. In John 6, 29, and we can put it on the screen. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent and as a follower of Jesus I myself have had to ask myself do I believe in the one that God has sent if Jesus were to come right now and test my heart would I would he find a believing heart would he find a heart that can accept the words that he's saying And I have come face-to-face with this question many times, and probably I had to face this question the most when not just one, but many of my friends decided to walk away. And I was in a position where I wondered, am I reading the wrong book? Maybe, like, there's this thing and I'm on the wrong side of the fence. Maybe I'm brainwashed. We've all been there. We've all had those thoughts. And I believe as believers, we... We all at some point come face to face with that question. And it just kept on coming up. And it was worded differently. At times it was, what do I believe? And at times it was, can I believe? And at times it was, do I believe in the one who God has sent? And I believe that this question is a question for all of us. And it's the question that God is asking, not just his believers, but those who are on the outside as well. Do you believe in the one who God has sent? Do you believe in the one who God has sent? And honestly, it's quite easy to say yes. Initially, it's easy to say, yep, I'm all in. It feels good. It's right. But what happens when your boat gets, roked, gets a little rokey a little bit? rocky gets a little rocky what happens <laughs> what happens when life is tough do you believe do you believe when your friend calls you up for coffee and says i'm done with jesus do you believe do we believe in the times of our lives when we find out that we've lost our job do we believe do you believe When it gets really, really hard and you find out that you've lost a loved one, do you believe? Do you believe in the seasons when you've gone through a miscarriage? Do you believe? Do you believe in the seasons? Do you believe in the seasons when you get a phone call from your friend saying, Hey, I just lost my sister because she took her life. Do you believe in those tough times? Do you believe when your spouse, when your significant other says, I'm done. I'm done. This marriage is over. Do you believe? Do you believe when your children walk away? Do you believe? Maybe when your children don't even want to make that choice to believe alongside you, when your brothers and sisters don't want to come alongside you, do you believe? Do you believe when you're on campus and your faith is challenged? Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? And I ask that you would not be quick to answer. Do not be quick. answer because the truth is this is so significant. Believing in Jesus, believing that he is the bread of life, believing in Jesus is not a matter of mere confidence. It is a matter of faith. It is a question of faith. Faith that surpasses all understanding. Faith that surpasses all understanding. Do we believe beyond our eyes can see? We're going to take communion um, momentarily together. And I believe that for a lot of us in our journey, maybe once, maybe twice, we'll come, maybe many times, we will come face-to-face with this question, do we believe? And truly... Honestly, the interesting part about that is that when we believe, we're not believing in vain. We're not believing in emptiness. We're believing in a God who has done the work. The work of believing has been done for us. The work on the other side of our belief has actually been Finished, and we can point to the cross and look to a God who took his body, who took his body, nailed it to the cross, who shed his blood for us and said, It is finished. Who took on the sins of humanity, who took on shame, who took on inadequacy, who took on even disbelief and took it to the grave and conquered the grave. He conquered the grave. When we believe we are looking to a God who fulfilled his promise at the cross, who fulfilled his words, who did all the work, all the work, that we would have needed to do that hinders us from having an intimate relationship with an all-loving father that gets in the way of experiencing our new identity, our true identity as sons and daughters of the living God. He did all that work so that we wouldn't have to. And so when we believe, we're not believing in vain. If you so choose to believe, you're not believing in vain. You're not believing in vain. You're believing in the work of a God who fulfilled his promise. I God who proved that his bread is the living bread. There was no other faith, no other God that died and came up again. That died and lives. And lives. The work of believing in the one who God was sent is simply accepting Him, accepting Him as the bread of life. And so this morning, communion is so significant. It is very significant because traditionally, it was a time where the Israelites would basically celebrate the liberation that got the liberation from, from, from Egypt. So, so God had freed them from Egypt, and they would celebrate the, the Passover. And this was symbolic because what would happen at, at that time and what took place was um, they basically had to take a lamb, and they took the blood of a lamb, and they put it on their doors, and they were passed over, and death passed them over. And so a few years later, this is fulfilled through Jesus, and he's saying, I want death to pass over my children. I want them to have life. And so Passover was actually a celebration. And communion for us is a time of celebration. It should be a time of thanksgiving, of remembering that Jesus died for us, that he broke his body, that he shed his blood for us. So this morning, if you walked in and you're going, I I don't know if I can believe I don't know if I can give thanks. I just encourage you that on the other side of your decision, you are met with perfect love. On the other side of your decision, you are met with the God who, when he went to the cross, he had you in mind. And his decision, his willingness, was motivated with perfect love. And for those of us in this room and we're going, "I I believe I'm a follower. And this morning it's just been hard believing and my answer is accept him as the way we can look to him as the way to everything we have and here's the good news we look to jesus right this vertical relationship but he also he gave us church And church is his idea. And communion is taken with believers, among believers. So together we can remember, but together we can help each other out. And so this journey of believing is not meant to be done alone. It's meant to be done together. So I encourage us this morning as we take communion that we remember what God has done for us. Remember the death of Jesus. We remember that he is the living bread. But we also remember what He's given us. We have each other and we do it together. So would you stand with me as we take communion? In Luke 22, verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks. And said, take this and deliver it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread. Let's take our bread. And he gave thanks. Let's partake and let's give thanks. In the same way after the supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which was poured out for you Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that you are the bread of life. We thank you, God, that you are the living bread. We thank you, God, that you give life to our souls. Father, this morning we remember and we give thanks. We give thanks for what you did for us. God, we love you. Amen.